0: to me. He is still here, and you can't keep ignoring it. Doesn't mean you hack me. We don't do that to each other. You wouldn't talk to me. What else was I supposed to do? He's working with them, isn't he? Hello, friend. You got mail. I'm so glad to be here tonight with Henry to talk about this latest episode of Mr. Robot. Hey there, Henry. Hey,
1: Margaret. How are you?
0: I'm doing okay. I was just looking up vacations in the Ukraine and Budapest for some reason. I don't know. That's what I was up to.
1: I'm picturing a land filled with Ivanka's and Ivana's.
0: Most certainly. And the best barbecue ribs on the face of this planet. (laughs)
1: I don't know what this season's obsession with barbecue is, but I have to say, like, every time I watch an episode of Mr. Robot, I want to eat barbecue afterwards.
0: I can understand that. This episode is essentially called Metadata. It's the fourth of season three. And this particular story was written by... Kyle Bradstreet, mostly it seems, who has done a bunch of BBC shows and everything. And I did notice a different voice in this episode. What did you think of this latest chapter in this series?
1: To be honest, it felt a little bit filler. Feels like probably next episode and the episode after, probably a lot of things will happen. But this seems to be kind of setting things up. So I think it's a lot of exposition, a lot of uh, uh, interaction between characters, but not actually much movement. In plot?
0: I I thought it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. And I did look at some reviews of metadata and I saw certainly some split opinions. I think for me, it was noticeable right away that Sam Esmail was not the main writer. I could just tell something about some of the dialogue felt a little too on the nose. But other than that, there were there are a lot of things about it that I really enjoyed, and I love the scenes with the FBI in general. So anytime it involves those characters, it's fun for me.
1: Yeah, I think it gives us an idea a little bit more of the world in which we find ourselves, with the, the kind of economic impact of uh, of what Elliot and Darlene did more apparent than ever. I think all of those things are interesting. Uh, I think after. Last episode, I was kind of hoping that the momentum would continue and we would put together two episodes that had a lot of really interesting kind of momentous things happening, but it didn't seem like it worked out this way.
0: Yeah, and there definitely are some things about the story that we will probably cover. For example, Angela's role. We can talk about that later for sure.
1: I do think the episode is significant for Angela's character. I think it's probably one of the most significant episodes in terms of what we know about Angela and how we're kind of positioned to feel about her.
0: Should we talk about some of the meaning behind the title of metadata before we get into the story? I was really glad to see this show focus on that. And there were definitely several ways in which the story touched on the idea of using metadata. So, for example, when the so-called F Society guy was discovered by the FBI through his IP address, you know, they talked about how metadata is encoded in just about everything you do online.
1: You know, right now, there has to be some detective work to kind of stitch all of this metadata together to put together uh, a holistic picture of who did it, and what the circumstances were. But you can imagine a future where maybe the government requires that the metadata that uh, be embedded uh, in everything that you touch and create digitally, it has some sort of identifier traceable back to you. You know, that's not technically unfeasible, but the implications of something like that in the world that we live in would be pretty significant.
0: How would you define metadata off the top of your head if we had to like come up with a definition?
1: I was thinking about this uh, in terms of how would you explain metadata and I feel a little bit like uh, one of the Supreme Court justices who's talked about obscenity and says, well, i know it when I see it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) In game development, we talk about meta systems too that are based on data. So a quick and dirty definition for metadata is a set of data that describes and gives information about other data. If
1: you're looking from the point of view of maybe like a more of a social network, the metadata for that image is you, right? So I think it depends on the focus that you're giving in terms of what actually constitutes meta.
0: What constitutes metadata, that's true. And if we think about the guy whom the FBI picks up, who says he works for F Society, when we really know it's the Dark Army, he had metadata that was part of his Vimeo upload, right, that included an IP address, for example.
1: Yeah, and I think the the thing that's kind of teased out here with the title and the theme of the episode is that Metadata is kind of like identity. It it can seem very fixed, but it's actually quite malleable if you know what to manipulate and you know how to arrange things.
0: In video games, as you know, we have the game and then we have the metagame. And so I think it kind of operates in a similar fashion. You have like the gameplay itself, and then the metagame is the superstructure that sits on top of the game or around the game.
1: Metadata, like if you think about all these data points and how metadata often is context around these data points are generated. The, the metadata will really become lives, right? Because when different networks or other things are looking at us, they see these data, data points that we create online. Um, and actually what they're looking at is our life. Like they're just looking at discrete snapshot points of our life. But what we do outside of those digital snap points, it's really what they're kind of trying to figure out.
0: If you use a fitness tracker, for example, and you track your your running path, and you do that over the course of, say, a month, that creates a data set that can be pulled and used for some other kinds of metadata stories or narratives about your life and how you relate to your community and how you relate to each other and whether you're active or not during different times of the day.
1: Hey, hey, Margaret, you ever think about how much masturbation data Apple has because of the Apple Watch? Basically, you wear the Apple Watch or various fitness trackers on your wrist and if you're you know, masturbating, your wrist is going to move repetitively over and over again in a way that I think would be pretty easy to identify, right? And if you think about, you know, the fact that various companies have access to this data and then what they can infer about this from this data, that's actually like, you know, an interesting example, perhaps metadata, right? Is like if you know that someone is uh, masturbating at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, you can infer certain things about their life, like probably unemployed, <laughs> right, or not working during the day. Like you can assume, and like the, the frequency and different things like this. Like you can infer all sorts of other things about their life based on this one kind of unique data set.
0: Yeah, and speaking of masturbation, did you catch any of the the tech hearings, the the Senate Judiciary tech hearings this week with Google, Twitter, and Facebook? The attorneys. I'm only mentioning it because you raise a point about what can be determined about your activities through random, maybe even surprising ways. A lot of the hearings were centered around what these platforms are able to really extrapolate and measure about their users. And the attorneys gave really interesting answers about these platforms' apparent complete lack of ability to make certain inferences around their data and metadata.
1: It's an interesting question what these social networks did or did not know because they're making so much money based on this idea that they do know, right? Because they sell advertisers this idea that they're able to place their ads in a relevant context in front of people and ultimately get these people to act based on these ads in certain ways as a consumer. So you're basically hyping up the fact that you're able to influence people by pushing content to them via your app or service. And so all of a sudden, when it comes to political content, to somehow develop blindness about the possible impact and what it can do seems a little bit uh, disingenuous.
0: I think so too. One of the attorneys said it would not be possible for them to... uh, Determine which of the political ads that were meant to influence US election in 2016 were paid for in rubles, for example. One of the senators, or I believe, or Congress people, questioned the attorneys: You could you tell if somebody was depressed? And the the attorney, I think it might have been the attorney for. Facebook maybe or Google said no, but but we know that through data and metadata, it, you probably can figure out who's depressed.
1: Yeah, and I wonder what extent to just never having asked a question. Like these companies increasingly just have a lot of data, and unless a certain question is ever asked, it's not clear that that answer is ever really surfaced in a a useful context.
0: That is certainly possible for sure. And I thought of that too. And then I thought, well, if they're not doing it, for example, one can be sure there's a good chance companies like Cambridge Analytica or Palantir are.
1: (laughs) Well, so here's a kind of real life uh, story that kind of makes me also doubt Facebook is, you know, when the Arab Spring was happening, um, Facebook was one of the tools that the activists used in Egypt, for instance, to organize and, uh, yeah, to organize and get reach, right? And then uh, the governments utilize those platforms to also strike back. Uh, and this is something that should uh, be in mind by listening is that the same networks that allow you to. Communicate with each other, reach out, allow other people to reach in and it creates vulnerabilities. And so by virtue of these activists using these networks, the government started using these networks to penetrate the, the networks of these activists by putting up apps that people would have to grant access to their data to then install the apps. And the apps people felt were spying on them and actually leading to people getting arrested. So there was a conference here in Silicon Valley called the Silicon Valley Human Rights Conference a few years ago. Like, I think this was back in 2013, 2014. And the head of security, Joe Sullivan from Facebook, was attending this conference. And activists there, when he was presenting, asked him, hey, can you confirm or deny that you know, these apps are being used by people in government to spy on activists and ultimately uh, prosecute them? And he said, you know, I can't say for certain that we they aren't, but let me go check uh, with people and get back to you with an answer. And so to his credit, he came back the next day and was like, you know, I checked and there's, um, you know, that there's nothing that they see that would indicate that this is the case, but, you know, anything is possible. So if you have any doubts, uh, please, you know, don't give access to your data. Um, And so it seems to me that Facebook from at least that point onward had noticed that its platform had political impact and should have been aware of the possible uses of their platform. For political purposes.
0: I can't be- imagine for a minute, especially given the political aspirations of some of their executives over there. I know of at least two of them. I don't even want to name them because I don't want to be accused of, you know, but I don't even need to. You just look in the news, right? I mean, Mark Zuckerberg has done country tours. Wide tours? And I know that Facebook does a lot of A-B testing around emotions. There was a story that came out about a year or two ago where it was almost being deemed as unethical, some of the ways they were sort of messing with people's timelines and, and feeds. And they were measuring sort of the impact. The tech hearings, questions that were being asked were often not refined enough. And it allowed the attorneys to kind of dance around some of the responses. It was an interesting interplay. And I don't know if we're going to see the end of it yet.
1: I think regulation is coming to the tech industry. I think for uh, the first maybe 20 years of Silicon Valley's kind of latest boom, uh, they were untouchable because no one wanted to mess with their growth. But now some of the richest men in the world are rich because of Silicon Valley and technology. And it's not really a case of stifling the possibilities any longer. I think now it's a possi- It's more a question of how are we gonna take this kind of raw, untamed growth and knowledge and capability and channel it in ways that are actually constructive for society and not just about making money or keeping people amused.
0: I also read today that Twitter, and you know I love the Twitter, that's my my platform of choice. I, I think it's the most exciting of them all uh, for a lot of reasons, I, mostly because you get to see so many different perspectives. But there was a story, Twitter offered 15% of all of its presidential election advertising inventory to RT. Dot .com which is the state controlled major media outlet out of Russia 15% of ad inventory for a giant platform such as Twitter is is a phenomenal amount talk about metadata <laughs> that gets collected and used around that i mean because a lot of these ad campaigns were using metadata to target really down to zip codes and communities and they were just trying to cause dissension among, you know, the population. Yeah,
1: I mean, if you're someone who lives in a certain zip code and spends a certain amount of time in front of your computer and on Facebook, chances are you're being messed with. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like, basically, your timeline and what you saw and what you felt on any given day while you're in front of that computer was being manipulated to try to achieve certain political purposes. And that's pretty scary.
0: And speaking of pretty scary, I did like how this episode opened this week with Darlene riding on the subway. I really do appreciate how they've developed her character and, get, and have given her a lot more dimension. have had no idea where this scene was going and, you know, lived in New York like you did. I lived there for six years of my life. I love how they have so many scenes there. It was a clever scene between Darlene and the person who pickpocketed her wallet because you really have to be careful who you're going to rob. If you're going to be in that business, you better be careful because you might end up stealing from somebody like Darlene who might kill you. <laughs> yeah.
1: And time the stops better, right? Like... Uh... <laughs> I'm not a professional, but I would just imagine that one would get an idea of how long it was until the next stop so that you could Get off the train quickly instead of just standing there.
0: Yeah, totally. And you know, Henry, I spent an inordinate amount of time tonight double and triple checking which subway stop Darlene got off of at 7th, 7th Avenue because there are quite a few. And, and I did verify that she lives in Williamsburg. So that's in keeping with her character. Darlene sussed out that. Person and gave a true confession and kind of seemed frightening by the end of that scene.
1: Well, Darlene looked a bit like Elliot with kind of the bloodshot, raw eyes towards Mm -hmm. the end of her monologue with the pickpocket. She was looking a little bit crazed, right? And it was just kind of a sense of like, wow, she is on the edge. Like normally Darlene was a bit of the pragmatic voice of reason. She kind of bit sarcastic. Nothing could seem to really get... To really bother her, but you could see all of the raw uh, tension on display here.
0: Yeah, totally. Basically, let it all hang out in terms of her culpability and this whole economic F show. I can't believe I'm not going to curse, but I like the drum sound and the scene and a lot of the audio, again, was just amazing. And the subtle cues that maybe are too subtle, like you've pointed out before about how society is sort of deteriorating with these random signs for legal advice and homeless encampments later on in the episode. But we got to see the whole replay of of Dom entering at the watch house where Darlene is and that whole scene of where Elliot tracks them down. And we got to see Elliot rummaging around. They really are playing up that Dom is smart and that her partner is kind of a moron.
1: Yeah, I I thought that scene was interesting because we ended that last episode with, uh, you know, the beginning of this one. And we see how it kind of unfolds and the different perspective from Elliot. We see some cool hacky stuff with Elliot being able to drown out the eavesdropping devices. But there are parts of it that felt a little bit uh, contrived to me. Like, why would Elliot, who's normally a pretty careful person, go in broad daylight to some an address where he knows the FBI occupies? Like, that just seems really weird to me.
0: I could say, well, it's because New Yorkers feel they're anonymous and they can hide in plain sight. But that's probably not very accurate. I did like that the FBI guy refers to Elliot having bug eyes. I thought that was funny. And I liked how it was pointed out here. If you post on social media, you're giving information over about the camera type, the phone type, your name and location, all in the metadata of of that photograph. And something I've noticed that I do for the listeners out there, one of my favorite things to do is if I get a contract, I always look at the properties of the file. (laughs) to see where the contract came from and see who authored it. And it's often surprising.
1: That's a very good point. People don't often strip out the metadata. And in fact, (laughs) if you are sharing any files on BitTorrent or any other file sharing sites or services, make sure you clean out the metadata because I know for a fact that often people are caught because of the metadata and it's traced back to them. So clear out your metadata. Like that means your ID three tags for MP3s uh, you know, uh, different file formats have different types of metadata use the appropriate software, view your metadata, clean it out before you share it on any sort of service.
0: Absolutely. That's such great advice. I looked at some metadata from the spreadsheet. I downloaded off of this, this consultant type person's website. And I looked at the the file properties, and I guess I should tell that person not to have that file up there without cleaning that stuff out because I can identify where they got that file from, and it's quite interesting.
1: Yeah, and and, and oftentimes hackers are able to penetrate security because. Of other data that they pick up, like dumpster diving. When Elliot talks about going through, uh, you know, stuff to figure out metadata, when he was kind of looking through the trash, that's dumpster diving. Like this is the technique of many hackers. It wasn't that they were somehow computer geniuses and able to use fancy software to defeat the security. They dove in the garbage, took out reams of paper, looked at all the stuff they pulled out and found little notes with passwords and logins written on it. Like that's how they got past the security initially. And once they were past that initial layer of security, they were able to do all sorts of things.
0: Absolutely. It's really so interesting, the different ways that you can get access to, to whatever it is you're trying to get to. I love the scene where Elliot confronts Darlene in her apartment. We got to see that whole tense scene where Dom figured out she'll just go and, and warn Darlene. I thought that was pretty smooth. And I love the discussion between Elliot and Darlene and the fact that Elliot was using that cool voice scrambler. I want one of those.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do too, especially if you live in a one party uh, consent state for recording. California is two-party, but um, I do know people who live in one-party states who record a lot of their conversations.
0: Oh, I've never seen a voice scrambler before, and I looked them up online. I was super curious, and apparently the one Elliot used, pretty obvious from watching the scene, but it apparently has a bunch of different overlapping sound loops of different voices and it makes it harder for microphones to pick up the sound. Although when you're talking with somebody in the room, it's a kind of a normal conversation. But the trick is you have to have the voice scrambler close to the microphone. Did you have any thoughts about Darlene and Elliot's reunion? I thought there were some really good beats to it. I thought their interaction
1: kind of set the stage for what's to come because really what we see this episode unfold is... Darlene and Elliot start off so apart in terms of trust, right? Like they, they get into a room, he has this thing on so that nobody can listen in. And they seem very far apart when we've always kind of seen them try to be, uh, you know, uh, have each other's backs, right? And so by the end of the episode, we kind of see them get back to a place where – they seem close, but at the same time, we know because of other th- things that they're actually still quite far apart.
0: Now that you mention it, I did sort of forget the fact that Darlene's a confidential human source.
1: mhm
0: <laughs> Darlene's holding lots of attitude and I think she's kind of tired of being in that role in the meantime we go to Irving meeting Angela at the delicious Red Roll Barrel barbecue
1: ribs for breakfast that's what I remember from this scene He's like ribs (laughs) for breakfast I'm like that's genius if someone can have steak and eggs why aren't we doing ribs that's just genius
0: I don't see why not we also learned that stage two was going to be in ten days so that's a big deal and angela is kidding herself that once they blow up the building where evil corp is holding all of their backup data and their hard copies they'll evacuate it
1: She's kind of naive right like oh and of course we're gonna do that thing to make sure everyone gets out okay right blink 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 sure, blink, blink, blink. That's exactly what we're going to do, right?
0: So is Angela important because of her relationship to Elliot? Is this why she's deemed so essential?
1: Maybe initially, but I think now she's taken on a certain importance just because of White Rose choosing to bring her into the fold.
0: Have you ever met people like Angela before? Yes. Me too.
1: (laughs) You don't sound that impressed.
0: I have a hard time with Angela because, you know, I worked with somebody once, we're still friends today or friendly, who went through a major change in personality and sort of similar to how we saw Angela go from somebody who seemed pretty nice and just a regular person to this sort of, calculating transactional person very sort of removed a little bit and that's how I see Angela so I don't know if I like Angela do you
1: yeah it just she doesn't seem very likable that's for sure
0: I know that we're supposed to probably think that she has Elliot's best interests in mind ultimately in the long run but her she's just very cold and i guess that's what she's become i don't think she has
1: uh, its best interests at heart i think elliot represents her path or her way to get something that she wants and what she wants is that thing that right rose showed her or whatever that represents but i think she doesn't necessarily have any desire to make sure elliot's going to be okay
0: what do you think it is that White Rose show to Angela?
1: I thought about this. Like, either, I, I thought, like, from a very science fiction standpoint, it could be some sort of object that's going backwards in time, or some something that shows, you know, maybe he found something that's some sort of remnant of time travel that he's trying to reverse engineer so that he can travel uh, in time also. I thought of that. Or some, some like article or picture in the past or the future that kind of indicates that time travel is possible. Some Something like this.
0: That's my impression is they're trying to hint at a time travel storyline. And for some reason, I am so trying to resist it and take the story elsewhere, which probably is good. It's a good sign that it's not completely obvious what it is. I bet if we went on Reddit there are a million really amazing theories that I don't know if I dare uh, read, but but it's true. She seems like she's uh, almost religious, uh, Angela, in her approach to this whole thing. So whatever it is, it, it, it moved her more than anything else. And she's made herself essential. She's becoming increasingly concerned about Elliot because she's thinking her little plan to have him work at Evil Corp may not have been a good idea.
1: Which hmm. is just an insane and dumb plan. <laughs> Why would you think that that would work?
0: It is it is really the most ridiculous thing for sure. And, and this is where I guess maybe the plot does fall apart a little bit uh, because Elliot is – hell-bent on stopping stage two why do you think elliot is thinks he's the only one who can stop it do you have a theory
1: uh messiah complex like he just feels like he's the only one who is in a position to do anything about it so he has to do something himself rather than get people to help
0: i think so too i mean both Elliot and Terrell seem to have God complexes. I mean, Terrell later on seemed perfectly unhinged to me about how he was going on and on about, oh, I'm, I'm God, and Elliot's no longer God, and I thought we were going to be gods together, and he's using a very peculiar turn of phrase. That's an odd way to describe it, but Elliot seems to have the same sort of hangups, potentially.
1: Yeah, Terrell seems a little bit mentally unhinged um, where you hear him talk about, I loved him, we were supposed to be gods together, and he seems to have this strange fixation on becoming a god or being a god. That's like the hook that Irving identified to manipulate Terrell was playing to that godhood and saying what if you're the god? And all of a sudden Terrell's like, yes! <laughs> so Irving again, demonstrates his knowledge of being able to say what people want to hear. Like, we've seen this in multiple episodes where he's able to twist the truth, you know, like he did with Angela. Is everyone going to make it out okay? Yeah, sure, everyone's going to be fine. We'll take care of all of that. We see so many examples of him basically acting like the devil, a Mephisto character of sorts, and just saying the thing that people need to hear so that they'll do what he wants them to do.
0: It's incredible. And the way the acting is being done, I think is pretty good because you can see Irving's wheels turning sort of in the moment where he's just saying anything he needs to say, just to keep the wheels in motion and keep these people moving. And it reminds me of a lot of, of managers that I've seen who manage a lot of people and, and keep a lot of things moving. I mean, he's, he's really good Irving at what he does.
1: And I think it's no accident that you say that you see managers do this because in a business environment or an organizational environment, you have to subsume your humanity to the best interest of the organization. Um, And oftentimes that's what management is, is being able able and willing to act a little bit less than human to advance the company's best interests.
0: Yeah. And in the meantime, this is sort of around the point where Darlene and Elliot create their vengeance pact, which seems awfully foreboding to me. So if something happens to one of them, the other one avenges their death. That does not sound really good, does it?
1: I thought of it when it happened. I'm like, that's motivation in a box. Like for (laughs) the writers going forward at any point in time, if they want to take the show in a different direction – They have someone kill Darlene, and the next season and a half to two seasons can be Elliot chasing that person down and trying to fulfill his vengeance quest.
0: Oh boy, I hope they don't kill Darlene. And this F Society guy, or this Dark Army guy, and guys of F Society, which is fake society, I guess, he's... Being interrogated by the FBI, one of the reasons Dom's dumb partner wanted to just book this guy and call it a day is he was pointing to all of the increased chatter, quote unquote, on networks. And it's so easy to fake chatter. I mean, that's the world we live in right now. Half of Twitter is fake chatter, right?
1: Yeah, I think of Twitter almost like a simulated environment. Like half the things that I see, I don't assume come from a person. It's just you know, or like I would say, uh, half to a quarter of any new followers that I get randomly are bots of some sort. When I look at them, they're just marketing bots or Russian bots.
0: I know, and I'm having a more difficult time than ever being able to distinguish quote unquote real people from the the bot accounts. It used to be so much easier, and they're getting more and more sophisticated.
1: And it's no accident that if you look at AI bots, they're also getting more sophisticated. Like I think the two go hand in hand.
0: Absolutely. I did like how Darlene was asked by Elliot to sort of shadow him as it, just in case he turns into Mr. Robot, which he does creepily. So in the middle of the night and how she followed him and, was horrified to see Angela hanging out with, with Elliot slash Mr. Robot. If you're Darlene, you must really not like Angela.
1: Yeah, it, uh, Yeah, I, I think that's a collision that is kind of being kept in the, in the side pocket for us not to really think too much about. But I have a feeling it's going to come into play where the different interests of Darlene and Angela are going to come to a head and they're going to go at each other.
0: I know I'm just gonna say it. i I kind of hate Angela <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I i I'm glad that you've kind of uh, stripped out pretense like I I've been noticing a certain direction towards your feeling with Angela for the last season and a half.
0: I think she's just such a a jerk and and maybe i'll I'll regret that, but you know that whole way she had that conversation with price where she, shes she's had that response and it was a very strong response but there's a certain reptilian part of her that I that just makes me bristle
1: or it's just a little bit kind of like off you know it, it sounds like something like like the way that she responded was almost like a in a Tarantino film the way that someone kind of over speaks um to something it was kind of how she was like you know if you ask me for my reasons it, I'm gonna take it one way and It was just so bizarre. Um, Yeah. It it doesn't make you like Angela, for sure.
0: Totally. And I did like the scene between Darlene and Dom in the bar where Darlene is basically social hacking uh, an FBI agent. I don't know why Dom answered her honestly. Maybe she didn't. And Dom is not from Edison, New Jersey, but... I sure as heck hope she lied to Darlene.
1: Yeah, this scene just kind of played a little bit false to me. Like Dom seems like very street wise and someone who seems to kind of be one step ahead and knowing all the angles. And somehow the idea that she'd end up in a bar that she didn't want to be in, buying a drink for someone she didn't want to buy a drink for, talking about things that she didn't want to talk about just doesn't ring true to me.
0: I can see that. I can see that for sure. And... It'll be interesting to see how much more we we have that kind of engagement. It, it is, it, I do hope that we find out later that at least she was lying about some of those facts. But I have a feeling she wasn't. And I have a feeling that's going to be used against her somehow in the future.
1: Yeah, for like password security or other things. Like It amazes me that the security questions that these companies ask for Uh, that people then answer honestly, because with all these companies getting hacked, you're giving away information that can be used to circumvent security on other sites. Like it's crazy to me. So I would advise using a, a password manager of some sort and logging the different answer to security
0: questions. Like don't answer them. Honestly, it's really dumb. I can't believe some of the personal questions, those security questions ask. It's really beyond the pale
1: Eventually, someone will push a security system based on emotional responses, and there'll be even more personal questions.
0: hmm And the new iPhone, of course, has facial recognition.
1: Yeah. And again, like, you can imagine someone supplementing that with, like, uh, emotional responses, right? Because of the way that your uh, capillaries dilate in your face in response to emotional states can't be faked, um, and it's a different pattern for everyone. So you can imagine, like, being shown an image And then as you kind of involuntarily respond to it, using that pattern as a unique signature.
0: Yep, totally. And again, uh, you know, we're getting close to the end of this episode, but I love the interaction between Irving and Terrell, where Terrell's having his freak out, talking about going to the Ukraine. He says, Elliot is dead to me. And he keeps trying to to defy what Irving says needs to happen. Stage two needs to happen. And, meet, you know, by Monday in 10 days, and Irving says to Terrell, you keep squawking as though I'm going to give you a different answer. And then he goes to this whole, you know, I know you and Ellie are having your issues, but sometimes coworkers, they don't get along, but they have to get the job done. It was so funny.
1: He's so good at getting people to do what he wants because by the end of that whole interaction, Terrell's like, yeah, I can do it, right? And again, he's lying out of his ass, where Terrell's like, I want to see my wife, and we're going to go away together, make it all happen. He's like, yeah, sure, buddy, sure, sure. And by the end of the conversation, he's promised everything to Terrell, but actually has intentions of doing nothing. And he's gotten someone to go from, it cannot be done, to, I will do it, right? Right.
0: It was pretty amazing how easily Tyrell was manipulated. And I would have thought he, when I first encountered that character, he would have been much more present of mind, but he's also probably unraveled quite a bit over the, probably since killing Sharon Knowles. I think that was his, the start of his downfall.
1: Yeah. He's a bit of like uh, has this simpering idiot side to him that's not very attractive.
0: Absolutely not. And then we saw the whole interaction with Angela, and Mr. Robot. And then she talks to Irving to find out that stage two will be happening as planned. Darlene packs her belongings. We assume she's probably heading to Budapest. I've been to Budapest. I had a crazy time there.
1: So it occurred to me, Margaret, that if phase two is going to happen in 10 days in showtime and the season has what five six episodes left right um that phase two will probably happen somewhere between the last to second to last episode so you can kind of to me like it maybe you can kind of figure out how many uh what's going to happen in each episode by how many days are left in chronological time
0: what do you think is going to happen
1: i think there's going to be a lot of double cross Coming down the pipe, like we already know that White Rose plans to double cross Philip Price and vice versa. Um, I think Darlene's planning to double cross the FBI. Um, I think Elliot's planning to double cross himself. Angela is probably going to try to double cross White Rose and uh, Philip Price, and that's going to be interesting to observe. So I think all these things, and I think Dom is going to be tested to see whether or not she'll double cross the FBI. Um, So I think these are all the things that are going to be kind of in
0: play. Do you want to play Which Would You Choose? Which would you (laughs) choose? Ah,
1: Yes. Which would you choose? Uh, The the weekly game between Margaret and I, where we try to uh, recreate the game between Elliot and Darlene from their childhood road trips. Uh, so the which would you choose that I have for this week, Margaret, is sweet or savory in, in the spirit of barbecue. Which would you choose?
0: Oh, definitely savory. I am a savory person all the way. Huh, interesting. How about you?
1: I, probably sweet. If Yeah. I mean, I have a fondness for chocolate chip cookies. I think that puts me entirely in the sweet category, right?
0: I think so, although I did bake a ginger plum cake the other day, and that was quite sweet.
1: See, that's why I was, I was surprised by your answer, because you're such a great baker.
0: I, I am, but I love pizza and cheese and crackers and everything savory, but I'm getting hungry now. I'm all like, whoo.
1: That's what <laughs> happens every time I watch a Mr. Robot episode now, because there was always barbecue in it. Yeah. And- <laughs> I always like it. whenever I see someone eating barbecue and talking about barbecue, I can like almost, uh, have the same taste of barbecue in my head. So, uh, I always get hungry.
0: Yes. Yes. And I wonder if Elliot will be craving barbecue when he discovers he's fired from evil corp. We shall see, I <laughs> guess, I guess I have to give you a, which would you choose? I was going to do Facebook versus Twitter or Twitter, but I think you said we, we already did that one. I think so. Oh, gee. Oh, dear. Okay. How about, how about Amazon video versus Netflix?
1: Interesting. So this is actually something I feel well prepared to speak about. Uh, I think, you know, Amazon, you, if you're a prime member, you get it included in your service, uh, $79 a year for prime, or maybe it's up to a hundred now. I can't remember. Uh, Netflix 9.99 although they recently raised their price, they have uh, an option for 4k, right Is that right Margaret? Yes. And so you know you have those types of two different pricing things. Uh, they have different unique content. Uh, I think Amazon has a lot more like random stuff. Um, like if you want like a hundred different types of videos on different yogic breathing, I think Amazon might have more of that kind of stuff, Um, but Netflix has a lot of the stuff that seems to be culturally relevant these days. Like Stranger Things, seems like it. I actually watched it in the summer because everybody was talking about it, so I felt like I it was one of those shows that I felt like I actually had to watch because I had to maintain some sort of cultural understanding, like Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. So I would say Netflix.
0: Mm -hmm. I know somebody who works at Amazon and they said, the thing people don't understand about us, this was a couple of years ago, I think people understand this now and they probably did then, but not as much, is that we're sort of like cockroaches. <laughs> And we'll be around forever. Well, you know, we are legion type thing. I do appreciate Amazon video. And I think there have been some good things on Amazon video. And I like the variety. I would choose Netflix as well because of their original programming. It's amazing how much they've put out and the quality of the programming. I wish Netflix had more classic type movies and stuff like that. But anyway. I digress.
1: So here's an interesting thing, Margaret. You know you can't get Amazon Instant Video on the Apple TV. And so that has been the case for the last couple of years. Um, and Amazon refuses to carry Apple TVs for sale on its site. A detente was reached in the last few months, and it was announced, uh, You know, I think, back in August – that Amazon Instant Video was coming to the Apple TV. Um, And sometime in September, Apple TVs started to go on sale on Amazon service. Yet, Amazon Instant Video still is not out for the Apple TV. So we shall see. But, you know, it seems like it's been promised. It's coming. I think the other thing that is relevant to discuss is Movies Anywhere, which is something that allows you to consolidate your movies across all the different major platforms to view Mm -hmm. on any of the platforms and so uh, amazon is one of them like if you have because all right now a lot of these platforms have locked you into also their hardware in order to view the content that you purchase amazon was like fire tv only if you want to connect it to your tv not for apple tv not for google chromecast google play was only for chromecast it had a ios app apple tv not interoperable with chromecast so All these things have their own different kingdoms and movies anywhere is a movie industry effort to actually allow you to take the content that you purchase from each of these different services consolidate your libraries and then stream them on any of these different platforms it's uh has a lot of technical issues there's technical issues are terrible i can't get it to work on some of my devices but what it represents is i think really industry changing.
0: I can see how that would make such a huge difference. And it's so important to have that adaptability because think about all of the things that get lost over time, things that used to be on VHS, for example, that are sort of harder, impossible to get, or even, even on the internet, you see like today, um, SFist, that whole conglomerate suddenly was shut down and all these years of writing were just wiped off the internet.
1: It wasn't even captured by the internet archives?
0: I I have to check and see. I would imagine something got captured by internet archives, but nobody was given any notice when the Staff unionized, shut down. But it's important, like that you have it, because how much stuff have, do you have to keep rebuying to use with your to keep up with your updated devices? You know. So increasingly,
1: this is a choice whether or not you should buy content or just allocate that money towards paying for streaming services. Because if you think about, like, when I think about all the trouble I took to archive and create a collection of certain things that are now just available for like nine ninety nine a month. <laughs> I wonder like, if my time was actually well spent trying to save or preserve those things when I could just get access to them now. Like, Even with music, like the efforts that I took to like bootleg or archive certain things when there's so much content that you can get about all your artists.
0: And I guess we have one word to describe this episode. I will go with mine. I would say dubious. Everybody was really sort of dodgy and dubious and nobody's really playing it sort of s- straightforward and open and honest
1: like i said i think there's gonna be a lot of double crossing uh that happens in k- episodes to come my word for the week is yg as in when uh uh what irving is talking to terrell and says uh that sounds like a yg my uh, a YGMG issue, like, <laughs> and I love that. Like, I was like, at first I was like, YGMG. I'm like, oh, you know, well, I'm sorry, YPMP, um, YPMP issue, <laughs> and it's like, oh, YPMP, your problem, my problem, <laughs> and he's basically saying that sounds like a your problem issue, not a my problem issue, right? And it just made me think like how uh with Elliot you don't really have that ability to do that, right? Because what's you or me kind of gets mixed in his universe.
0: I am looking forward to the rest of the season. I think season three is much better than season two. I am really glad to be doing this podcast with you and thank you everyone who have been in touch at the hello friend podcast at gmail.com or have rated or reviewed us on iTunes at Really helps a lot.
1: Yeah, thanks everyone. And uh any comments or feedback, totally welcome. Let us
0: know. Alright, bye everyone. I know. I know, ribs for breakfast. But you can't pass them up when I'm here. You know, the key is in the moisture here. Look. See that pink in there? Red wheelbarrow understands. Mop sauce. That's their secret. Layman's version, two tablespoons dry rub, one cup apple cider vinegar, maybe beer, depends. And use a brush and mop the ribs during the cooking process. Delicious. Mm.
1: You said we needed to talk?